0: Charles Swindoll writes, "Surrender is not an option if you plan to win a war." And by the way, I just saw this movie. It's really, I highly recommend it. It's *Darkest Hour*. It's called *Darkest Hour*. It's not a new movie, um, but you know, I love historical events and, and movies. So I found this and I was I watched it and it it's a, it chronicles that time when Winston Churchill uh, came into office of Prime Minister of Great Britain, and um, this maniac is on the continent just mowing people down, goes in, takes over Poland and Belgium, and then he just walks into France, and they just all lay down. And his, well, I'm going to talk more about that at the end, but, but the, the idea is um, he wanted to win a war didn't want to capitulate. Surrender is not an option if you plan to win a war or succeed in marriage. I firmly agree, this is Swindall uh, with a San Francisco attorney whom I heard say, quote, there are two processes that you must never, must never be started prematurely. Embalming, and divorce. In fact, Rabbi Earl Grohlman, a nationally recognized expert in grief counseling, said divorce can be more traumatic than death. The big difference, he says, is death has closure. It's over. With divorce, it's never over. In today's passage, Jesus seeks to mitigate the pain surrounding divorce by getting closer to God's intent for marriage. So, Matthew 5, verse 31. And it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, that word in the original language, is. From where we get the word fornication. Whoever divorces his wife except for the cause of unchastity makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In the beginning, I always like to go back to the beginning of anything. You know, a business. How did you start, you know? Um, A Christian, how did you come to Christ? I always like to know the origin, ground zero for these things. In the beginning, and you know the Bible is the only holy book that gives you ground zero. In the beginning, God sanctified the first marriage covenant in Genesis 2, 24 with the words, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. You see that? They got the pinky one flesh thing going on. Jesus quotes this later in this gospel, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 19. And then he goes on after quoting this verse. Consequently, there are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. It's a sacred thing. The reason God hates divorce, and that's how he puts it in, Malachi 2.16, the reason he hates divorce is because it's a ripping apart of two lives that he has joined as one. Where there is emotional and spiritual tearing, the child of God suffers. The sense of rejection and treachery is as the fragrance of death, for it kills our spirit draining us of all our joy and our peace. But Jesus said he came that we might have life, not death, which is also why he permits divorce. To limit the devastating effect of marital unfaithfulness, the Lord grants a concession to the innocent party, the option to divorce and remarry. Jewish husbands looking for marital loopholes. And that's, that's what, if you buy into a legalistic form of religion, you're always looking for loopholes. That's what you do all day. How far is enough in my adherence to the law? But husbands looking for marital loopholes, pointed to Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, where it says he can issue a certificate of divorce if he finds some indecency in his wife. And that word, indecency, it literally means uh, nudity, referring to nakedness. But figuratively, it was used just to mean blemish, and the liberal rabbis of the day, <laughs> all male, by the way, they said that could mean if she burned his dinner. That's an indecent act. That's a blemish on your character. And, it, and you could see it could get out of control. In 1 Corinthians 7.15, Paul declares that wives can divorce their husbands and remarry if he abandons her which has long been narrowly interpreted as if, as him actually physically leaving her. So if, if he's unfaithful, plays the adulterer, or if he actually physically leaves you, those are the only two options for divorce in a Christian marriage, in a godly marriage. However, well-respected theologian Wayne Grudem recently discovered that the plural form of, quote, in such cases, which only appears here in the Bible, it's not used again. It has a much broader sense than what was given initially. It means, uh, and so, I mean, where did he find out what it meant? He had to go to extra-biblical sources written in Greek in that era. And he found that, In such cases where a husband has shown such thorough contempt for his wife like abandonment that the wife was not bound to stay in the marriage, Grudem believes this would most certainly include things like physical abuse. Do not hang around if you're a punching bag. Man, get out of there or even sustained verbal abuse. In such cases, in such cases, the innocent party is not bound and can remarry. The offending party, however, doesn't have such liberty. If they desire to honor God, if they desire his blessing upon their lives, then they must remain unmarried or seek To be reconciled to their mate. It's a different mindset than what we see floating around today where we take it so loosely and lightly. And let me say, where there is repentance on the part of the offending party, I would urge a sincere effort at forgiveness and reconciliation. For isn't that what God offers us continually? By putting other people and things before him, we commit spiritual authority, Uh, excuse me, uh, adultery. So let's ask God to give us the same kind of grace he demonstrates towards us in order to forgive an erring mate. Granted, adultery is a most grievous sin, but it's not the unpardonable sin. You know what the unpardonable sin? The Bible talks in an unpardonable sin. And some people live under this weight of thinking they have committed this mysterious sin. The unpardonable sin is rejecting Christ. There is no sin other than that which is unpardonable. Just remember that. Adultery is not an unpardonable sin. And all of us at times have sinned against our mate. So we want to try to be gracious. Someone asked Ruth Graham, after 50 years of marriage with Billy Graham, if she ever entertained the idea of divorce. And she said, no. Murder? Yes. (laughs) Divorce? Never. It's from the great Ruth Graham. Kim and I were not so naive to think that we would, uh, you know, our amicability would not be sorely tested when we got married. But we made an agreement early on that we would never use the D word. It was just to be expunged from our vocabulary. And by the grace of God, We've never done that. We've never done that. Even in the heat of of our fiercest arguments, never. If you establish safe boundaries ahead of time, you'll have greater success in conducting fair fights because all nuclear warheads have been banned. And the threat of divorce, that's a nuclear warhead. You can believe it. Although adultery may lead to divorce... Jesus points out that divorce may also lead to adultery. And you may have wondered when he said that. Verse 32, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. How might divorcing your spouse cause them to commit adultery? For the simple reason that God does not recognize illegitimate marriages. We can call it whatever we want, but in God's eyes, we're still married. And therefore, marrying someone else with our illegitimate divorce makes us a bigamist and commit adultery. My admonition to all married couples experiencing skirmishes, uh, let your yes be yes. At the wedding altar, you're committed to cherish your mate from that day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, so long as you both shall live. Now, modern marriages do not include this time-arted tradition. Unless, unless Kim and I have counseled them to put some commitment into the vow. I think it should be in every marriage commitment. It's bold. It's self-sacrificing. From this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. So help me God. And I always counsel them too. They're making their wedding vows. Make sure you add, with the help of God, by the grace of God, because you don't have it in yourself to do this. You're going to need his help. Ask the Lord, and he will help you to be a man or woman of your word, which is the next issue that Jesus addresses, verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for that is his throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, and anything beyond this is of evil. There was a common practice among the Pharisees to swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem. That way, in case they decided not to make good on their vow, they, uh, they could argue this since they did not invoke the name of God, it's not binding. Jesus is saying that such duplicity doesn't wash because there is nothing that we can swear by that God is not a part of. Heaven is His throne. Earth is footstool. Jerusalem, His city. And your head, too, belongs to Him who created you. The point Jesus is making is that our word should be good enough. The fact that that we have to be sworn in before we take the witness stand is an indication that we are not trustworthy. Evidently, we need to to, to have, you know, the fear of God applied to squeeze the truth out of us. Jesus is saying that, at least for the child of God, if they say yes to something, it will be done. It will be true. It will prove true. And if they say yes to do something, it will get done. I remember reading um, an article about former World Series MVP Pat Borders uh, and why he signed with the Mariners to be our third string catcher. This was after his prime, but he was still potent. The article read, Borders signed with the Mariners in 2001 as an insurance policy for the playoffs. For more, uh, more specifically, he signed with Pat Gillick, Seattle's general manager. Quote, I trust Pat Gillick. His word is golden to me, Border said. Should that not be able to be said about every believer, every child of God? Our word is our bond. Again, the fact that we need to take or require oaths and signatures on legal documents as an indication that we live in a fallen world. However, when the Spirit of Christ comes into a man or woman, there should be a transformation. All of a sudden, the Spirit of the living God is resident within us. As Paul says, we become temples of the Holy Spirit. And we should grow in integrity from glory to glory into the image of Christ. There, our word should become golden. And yet, divorce happens because of hardness of heart. That's the way Jesus explains it. Because of hardness of heart, God has permitted divorce in case of adultery or various forms of abandonment which is why we must never judge a divorced person. We don't know what they've been through. We need to embrace them either as victims or if they've repented, as fellow sinners saved by grace. If you have uh, have suffered a divorce, just know that we love you. God loves you. And, uh, just want Him to comfort you and surround you with His presence. Recognize, if you're in a difficult marriage, however, that God's first prior- priority in marriage is not to make us happy. You know, the fairy tale always lives, they Kissed, they is true love, first sight, they got married and lived happily ever after. Well, that isn't God's intent for marriage. The angels don't marry, and, and they are fully satisfied. They are more than satisfied in the presence of God, completely fulfilled. Only God can completely fulfill us. Marriage, the reason God made man male and female to enter into this holy union, this sacred union, and and have family and all that, procreate, wasn't to make us happy, but to make us holy. To transform us, as I said, from glory to glory into the image of Christ. Psychologist Judith Neal calls the potential good that comes by living through severe difficulties post traumatic growth. So you had a traumatic experience. After that experience, there is the opportunity to grow. And she describes the process like this. Initially, those who have suffered traumatic life events, like a sorely strained Relationship, marriage. Those experienced a dark night of the soul where their previous values were thrown into question and life ceased, ceased to have any meaning. After this, they went through a phase of spiritual searching, trying to make sense of what had happened to them and find new values. And finally, once they had found new spiritual principles... Oops, next slide, please. To live by, they entered a phase of spiritual integration when they applied these new principles. At this point, they found new meaning and purpose in life, together with a gratitude for being alive and even for having been through so much turmoil. As they say, trials can either make us better or bitter, depending on how we respond to those trials. It's been said that marriage is God's graduate school for Christian discipleship. Our love will never be so tested to such a degree as when we seek, when two sinners seek to live together as one. Marriage is God's graduate school for Christian discipleship. And if we let our yes be no by bailing, because our self-life is being challenged, we most likely will thwart God's uh, growth, the growth that he seeks to accomplish in us, and we'll probably have to take some classes over again. We hope to graduate. If you and your mate are believers, and yet find yourself saying, there's no way God can breathe life into these dead bones, then I believe you may have begun the embalming process prematurely. Because, and what I, what I typically lead with, with, with a, any couple, Christian couple, that is trying to make sense of their marriage, and it's dysfunctional, and it's, and it's painful, I always begin by saying, do you believe that nothing is too hard for God? Do you believe that anything is possible with God? Because if not, then we're wasting our time. But I believe that. Now, it takes two to cooperate. And so, as I said, God has permitted divorce because of hardness of heart. But, but let us not engage in embalming prematurely what God has called to be a living thing. I suggest that you stop putting unrealistic expectations on your humanoid. That would be your spouse who who is human, not divine. God is so much easier to love, and he knows that. Draw near to the lover of your soul through his word and through prayer. Let him fill you with a sense of worth and wonder. Let it come from him. If you keep trying to squeeze it out of your mate, that's a recipe for disappointment. We get it from God freely. Take from his reservoir of grace all that we need to... to, to uh, have a sense of supreme significance. And then we will be enabled to, to give to our mate who maybe is not reciprocating. and Maybe we feel it's kind of draining our life from us. But if we're finding our life in Christ, then we are enabled to give out even when we're not receiving, at least for a time. I mentioned Winston Churchill. He was under tremendous pressure from his war cabinet to capitulate to Hitler and to seek a negotiated peace because the Third Reich is just unstoppable through the continent. Everywhere they went, victory after victory, and now there's just this little body of water separating them him from their shores so the war cabinet is just going you got you got to you know a total position of weakness but let's see what he'll give us knowing that they would become like France basically a vassal state of Germany and that, that, it was that pressure put upon him. But he has been since celebrated as the man who would never, never, never give up. He said things like this. Success is not final. You know, in this life, we think, We think the trouble that we have is this jerk that lives next door or in the office or podcasting. No, we don't war against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against these forces of darkness, Satan and his emissaries continually haranguing us. And we will have victories. If we are trusting in Christ, we will have success. But but it's not final. Until we see him face to face, we will have continual battles to wage. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. Unless you give up. It is the courage to continue that counts. Good Churchill. No wonder people named their animated um, characters Winnie, like Winnie the Pooh and celebrated him. They wanted to be like him. They wanted their children to be like him. They wanted them to love that kind of courage. Let me close with these words. Words of encouragement, really, I think. From a lady who struggled in her marriage, got divorced, and then reconciled and remarried her husband. I am in my 50s and feel I have some wisdom now. It hurts me to see so many couples and their children suffering because if they would try harder and get some help, and there's no greater help than that which comes from above, through God's word and through prayer, If they would try harder and get some help, they can save their marriage. At one time, I felt I could not get the feeling of love back that I had lost for my husband. But indeed, it did return. And more fervently than before. Is anything too hard for God? Did we settle that issue already? It did return and more fervently. Did Jesus say he came to give us a little For a lot, he came to give us abundant life. Of course, the same could be said regarding a man's feelings for his wife. They can return and more fervently than before. But first, we need to learn to put our lives on the line. That's what he was doing. That's what Churchill was doing. His work cabinet said, don't, don't, don't. Let's just, let's just try to appease this maniac. We have to be willing to put our lives on the line and love without feelings. You know, that's blasphemy today. You know, I, I was at a wedding not long ago with a, with a couple pledged to remain in this relationship and as long as love lasted. They said that from the altar. I think, this is a sham. Why are we even doing this? I mean, as soon as as you fall out of, uh, you know, this sense of eros, you're gone. There's no commitment there. There's no security there. That's not real love. Love dares to choose for the other person's highest good, whether they feel like it or not. It's called agape. It's divine love. We have a slide, one more slide, I think. That's how it's spelled. It's God's love. It's the way he loves us. And it's the way he has called us to love one another and especially within the sacrament of marriage. You're not always going to feel it, but you choose. See, agape is a choice. We're not uh, you know, bound and enslaved by our feelings. That's what I love about Christianity and the, and the Christian relationship that we have with one another and with God. You might not even feel like worshiping him today, but that's all right. You can choose, and you did. You're here. <laughs> that's acting upon a choice to love God, whether I feel like it or not. I'm going to choose for his highest good and, and his glory, and we can apply that to our spouse as well. You're going to have ups and downs. This is not always going to be a more. Yeah, And the moon's in your eye like a big pizza pie. You're not always going to feel like that. Everybody loves pizza. We get that. It's a good feeling. You're not always going to have a good feeling in your relationships and between you and your spouse. But love anyway. Choose their highest good. Just do it. Just choose for their highest good. And I believe that in time, the feeling will come. And even more fervently than before. Always hope with the believer because we have a great God. Let us determine in our hearts to let our yes be yes. Yes. Let us be men and women of integrity. Hold fast to the commitments we have made. And he will will bless. And he will breathe life into our relationships that he might be glorified in our bodies. Amen? Let's pray. Father, these are very challenging words. And I think in today's culture... uh, really kind of verging on nonsensical, they they certainly uh, blasphemous. When today uh, everything is about the individual and the... the, um, Process of self-actualization, you know, where, where, where we can live out the desires of our heart. To actually say no, uh, we need to die to ourselves. If we want to follow Christ. We need to pick up our cross every day and follow him and love as he loved. Lord, help us to do that in all our relationships and especially within the sacrament of holy matrimony. There may be some hearing my voice today that need to get divorced because they are in a toxic relationship where there is no repentance shown and they're demonstrating pure contempt for their spouse There are biblical grounds for divorce. And I also want to just pray for those that have already suffered divorce. And maybe this message has been really uncomfortable to hear. I pray you would comfort them, Lord, even now. The last thing I want to do is to cause more pain for those who have already suffered this tearing apart of that union that God has created comfort them and give them hope too. He's the God of the second chance. Don't believe that you have lost forever an opportunity to be uh, equally yoked to have a fruitful union. He's the God of the second chance. Believe that and hope in that. But I would like to pray for all those who are feeling estranged from God this day, either in this house or at, on wherever you're at online. And you want to draw near to God. You want to open up your life to Him and invite Him in to be the lover of your soul and you're willing to abdicate the throne, I want you to pray with me to say, Dear Lord Jesus, you are so good, and so loving, and so kind. Thank you for being willing to come. Take my sin in your body on the cross to pay the penalty for that, which is death that I might become a child of God, loved by God. Also, that I might come into a fellowship of other brothers and sisters in Christ that love each other sincerely from the heart. And so, whether you're a first-time Believer, putting your faith in Christ, or coming anew to him. This prayer would also cover that. It's just co- We're just asking God to do a new work, a life-giving work in us, purifying our love for God and for one another. Do that work in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.